Maybe you've heard some of the buzzwords everyone seems to be talking about when discussing the future of containers. Strange words like micro-VMs, unikernels, sandboxes. Have you wondered what these things are and how you can use them? Or, for that matter, should you use them? In this episode of MobyCast, John and Chris continue their three-part series on the future of containers. We go deep on the most talked-about micro-VM, AWS Firecracker. We learn how Amazon uses Firecracker and its tremendous benefits. We then discuss how to use Firecracker for your own containers and get the same great results. Welcome to MobyCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. It's good to be back. <laughs> good to have you back. So here we are today. We're in the middle of a, a series that is one of the hottest series ever on MobyCast. I'm so excited about this series. We've been talking about micro VMs and, you know, nobody knows that much about them except for the people that are making them and a few people that aren't listening right now. <laughs> Those five people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, I guess we should get into a recap. But before we, we, before we get into the recap, um, I guess a, a lot of what we're going to talk to talk about today is going to be specifically about Firecracker. We're going to get into some more details. Um, and you know where we left off last week. Um, you know we'll, we'll do the recap, but I want to sort of kick off the recap with this idea that I had that you know micro VMs and how they work and how they're orchestrated seems to me, from what I've learned so far, to be inspired by how container orchestration and container runtimes and things like that work. Um, so I was trying to draw some parallels between the two. Uh, in my mind, and uh, yeah, maybe we can keep that in mind, or maybe you can just totally disagree or flip it on its head for me, Chris. But in either in either case, maybe you can we can start with a recap. Sure. Yeah. So let's 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 first start with a recap. So last episode we kicked it off. Um, we kind of started off with like, hey, the current landscape is we've we, we've talked about virtual machines. We know about that. It's full virtualization, strong isolation, really great security story, but heavyweight. Um, and then we have containers that came along, and containers are virtualization at the OS level. They're um, much faster, much more um, resource efficient. And not only that, they're virtualizing and abstracting at the application level, right? So it becomes this, like, this perfect natural unit of abstraction for us to do our cloud-native apps versus virtual machines. Mm-hmm. You're, you're virtualizing the entire server, right? So, like, so we... Just packaging ends up becoming a lot more difficult, right? If it's a VM versus a container, and so we're we want to deploy apps, not servers. Yes. So containers has that rich ecosystem, right? That really supports us on that. But now, you know, the the issue that we're faced with is like by getting that great abstraction at the application level, and we have this great speed and performance, and we have the the resource efficiency. We gave up some of that security benefits, right? Because it doesn't have that strong isolation. So now we're kind of looking back and saying, hey, what if we could have that isolation that we got with the VMs, but still keep this this model of all the good stuff that we get with containers? And so that's where we're going here in the future. That's what there's there's a number of different 
techniques and camps um, and projects that are going and addressing that. And so we kind of introduced the concept of, okay, there's, there's micro VMs in this space. We also have um, something called unikernels. And then there's, um, you know, kind of, you know, you can, another flavor would be like sandboxes um, for containers. And so that's, that's, so we're on that process now of like, let's go describe these things. And we started off with micro VMs, explaining what those are. And now we're going through the treatment of two of the most popular micro VMs or the most active ones and being Firecracker from AWS and then um, Kata containers, um, which we'll be talking about a little bit later. That was such a, a funny little catch, Chris. It's like you wanted there to be room out there for there to be a more popular one that's less active. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and, and the other thing is too, it's like this is all pretty new, right? Especially in the, the, this concept of microbian um, space. There's not a lot of contenders out there, and this is one of the things I hope we we really kind of get across during these episodes as well. Is just like, well, what does this mean to you? Like, do you have right. to do anything? Like, how do you take advantage of this? Right? Um, like, is there anything you need to do? Like, what is that information that you need to know about? Um, so, so we'll try to kind of help break that down um, mm-hmm. as we as we go through this. Spoiler alert is probably not that since it came out, you need to be using it in production. That's that's probably not the answer we're going to get to. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, we'll 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 go through it and we'll we'll uh, we'll see what it is. But yes, um, chances are there's probably not a lot that you're going to have to do other than kind of be aware of, of, of some of these options. And so that actually is right. a good segue into kind of what you started off at the top. By saying like, "Hey, I'm kind of thinking of this as like um, there's a correlation between run C and mm-hmm. just a quick reminder that run C is like a way of of creating a container and running it, um, and then like uh, the other process that we talked about with containers was container D, and that was a way of like looking across containers, like being able to see what's running and and you know how they're running and things like that. So container D is a Daemon process, all you know, like a service that manages containers, and Run C is like a thing that creates an instance of a container. Right, absolutely. So, so that 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 defines the spectrum of the runtime support for containers. Mm-hmm. So, Container D is that high level runtime um, environment, and Run C is the low level runtime. So, mm-hmm. Run C is using the syscalls to go and create containers and and, and destroy them, and then. The high-level runtime container D, and this is all in the Docker space, right? There's other yep. runtime systems out there and whatnot. But um, as far as container D and Run C goes, um, that container D is that high-level one that's now managing more at the abstraction level, right? Like it's it's dealing with things like containers and snapshots and images and and whatnot, so that it's much easier to to work with as opposed to like, oh, what's the syscall for? Creating a you know man you know actually directly manipulating C groups um, and and uh, namespaces and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So in this space now we're not we're, we're we want to with micro VMs you're creating VMs first right and then the container you know a container could run inside that and so you know what we're seeing with micro VMs is like they need a way to integrate into this into this ecosystem. Right, so like we we talked about, like first there was VMs, 
Then there was containers, and containers have been around now for a long time. Um, very rich ecosystem with this, the entire tooling set, right, from start to finish, from when you start developing yep. a, an app all the way to deployment and observability and monitoring and and maintenance of that app. And so here's something you know new that comes along. It you know you, you can't it can't be completely different, right, and disruptive. Um, otherwise, you're throwing away all of that that ecosystem that tool set so so that's what these these projects are looking at it's like how do they how do they integrate into that so that as far as like users are concerned it's it's no different so i think that's kind of like the primary um you know motivation that's driving these integration points is they actually didn't really have much of a choice the micro vm implementers right they have to they, they that was the natural point of of of, of abstraction of, of integrating into the system and saying, okay, we're now at that level, like that that low level runtime. But instead of it, cre- as far as like uh, everything above it, it's creating a container. But instead, we're kind of intercepting that, and first we're going to create a VM, and then we'll create the container. Uh, okay, so the piece that I, I was kind of going along, being confused because I was like, I'm not talking about any t- any kind of integration here. I'm just talking about. Managing, starting, stopping, and managing micro VMs feels like a very similar problem to me than mm-hmm. starting, stopping, and managing containers. Mm-hmm. So, if I had never done this with micro VMs before, I might be like, "Well, let's see how we do it with containers." Oh, look at that! There's a process that starts and stops them, and then there's this other process that manages them. That seems like a good way to do it. Um, and so, that was sort of my point. Not that not that the firecracker process was. The same as Run C, or doing the same exact thing as Run C, or or had any integration with Docker or containers whatsoever, but just that it feels like the way the whole system is set up is inspired by the way containers are started, stopped, and orchestrated and, uh, and managed, and then later um, potentially, like if there's a sort of a quote unquote Kubernetes of Firecracker, you know, I, I could, I would be totally unsurprised. Like, oh, uh, but what you're saying. Is a lot of the actual job, especially around uh, the stuff in AWS, is to actually start a container when you're starting a micro VM and run that container within the micro VM. And in order to do that, you actually have to integrate with the container stuff. And so there is a point where the two meet micro VMs and container stuff. And it's that's also interesting. I have a lot to learn there. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't even know if we'll cover much of that to, in our episodes, but. But I don't think that that's the only thing that Firecracker is for, right? It's not just for running containers. It could potentially run other things, right? It could, but I mean, this is really like the natural evolution. And this is, I think, like the primary use case for it, right? Okay. I mean, think about it. I mean, we have VM systems out there that are very robust. They full support and uh, all the features and I'm just... Everything that you need with VMs is is already out there. Mm-hmm. So why would you need a micro VM? And it's like, well, micro VMs be- become necessary when you want to create like just thousands of these, right? Um, and they're short lived, or they're just you just need them to be really really lightweight. They don't need much in the way of emulation, and they need high performance, and then they go away, right? So it's just it's kind of like that single process model almost. Um, Thinking about it, it's like so, a single single container per micro VM yeah, kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, 
Because, I mean, so that is the use, I mean, that is the primary use case driving this. And that's one of the reasons why, like, I mean, micro VMs, probably, they wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for containers, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so, because it's, that's the problem, now that's the problem that it's solved. Like, there's really nothing wrong, I said, with VMs being full-featured and heavyweight, like, if, if you're not creating lots of them and, and, and create, you know, creating a whole bunch of them and then tearing them down and whatnot, right? So, it's really driven by this use case of, of So by having Firecracker um, be totally tuned to run a container, uh, then that's sort of, I almost imagine it like in bio, in like the sense of like biology, like, oh, it's like a receptor that's totally tuned to accept this protein. Like, you know what I mean? It's like the shape of a container has a thing that it needs and Firecracker is it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I mean, AWS will, it tells you, you know, right there on the homepage for for Firecracker, right? It is purpose built, and they they even go as far as they, for serverless applications, uh-huh. right? So they, I mean, they this was built for Lambda, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like no no ifs ands or buts. This was built for Lambda, so it was built for running functions securely in an isolated way at massive scale. Well, maybe that's where my confusion was, uh, because like you know, Lambda, I just. Lambda. When you talk about Lambda, you don't talk about containers. You talk about zip files. You talk about um, layers, all, all kinds of stuff. But you don't talk about containers. And if Firecracker is built to run a container, then that's the like the secret is. Guess what? It's actually run. You know, your Lambda function is actually running in a container. By the way. So um, yeah, I mean maybe taking a step. So as far as like the actual implementation goes, like does Lambda package your function as a container? Run that. Probably not. It's probably just literally. It is just doing the the files. It's just a bare bones file. But again, it's kind of like this space of it's really just a single process, right? Um, mm-hmm. And whether it's inside, if whether it's packages a container or if it's not packages a container, it doesn't matter anymore, right? Because it's it's now isolated inside that VM. But so think of it more along the lines of. Just what's the minimal amount of feature set you need from a VMM to run this very simple thing? And it turned, I mean, it ends up being very, very similar for running a function like a Lambda function as a as versus like running a container as well, right? It's, it's okay. they're all, it's just again that purpose built for like, think of it as like it's just a single thing running inside this micro VM. And I don't know, Chris, you're doing a little dancing there. That was a little dance, right? Like, because <laughs> we were like, Firecracker is just absolutely the perfect shape to run containers, and then it's like, well, but actually, it also is the perfect shape to run Lambda, and that might not be in a container. So, it might, there might be like two. What, what does that mean? Does that mean there's a special Lambda Firecracker and another like open source Firecracker? The difference between like a container and a function is just they're just different processes, but they're all just still just one process. Mm-hmm. Right, and they both well, they both need controls over. No, like hate. I, I'm not going to let you get away with that. Like, <laughs> I can, yes, it's it's a process, but but it's got special special things about you know being having C groups and what what file system it has access to, what memory it has access to. It's like very 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 specific process, and that's what I'm talking about when I talk about the shape of a container. And and like I was starting to go down this rosy path of thinking like, oh yeah, and Firecracker is the perfect shape to give that shape a hug. But then, when I think about the shape of a f- just some process that runs a function, like that could have a much s- smaller, simpler shape than a container. I can write a function in like three lines of code and run it, 
and that the process that that's running in is not going to look anything like a container process. See what I mean? See why I'm sort of like, come on, man, I don't know about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get, again, like, so th- there's nothing specific to Firecracker um, for that, like, um, locking into, a, you know, the shape for a protein so that these two things lock up. It, other than it's, okay. it's like, this is a VMM that is just doing the absolute bare minimum to run a server process, right? That okay. doesn't have a keyboard, doesn't have a video display, or anything else, right? No, none of those bells or whistles, and we have requirements where we need it to be able to spin up really, really fast. We want it to be as resource efficient as possible. We want to be able to tune it and say exactly how much memory it gets and how much CPU it gets, right? right. And so those are the kind of like the the primary characteristics that that they have when they go build it, because that's exactly what Lambda is, right? But they just didn't go. They just so when they built it, they just said, "Well, we want a VM." Right, in order to run that function, um, and then so that's that's what they built, right? Is the is 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 something a, a VM that could be that could be spun up very very quickly, that could be totally controlled on resources from both the CPU and memory standpoint. It was really geared to running server processes um, and to be very very high performance. But it's still just okay. a VM, right? That's running a guest OS. Sure. So then, with containers, and now looking at, you know, okay, what can we do for things like um, Fargate or whatever else comes along? Um, well, it's just you have this guest OS, right? That's tuned for, you know, high performance server applications that don't need rich emulation of a bunch of different devices. So running the container runtime inside that guest OS, like you can absolutely do that. And why not? Okay. And then I guess the last piece to help me pull this all together, I'm going to try to pull two threads together to do this. One is I saw, I was reading a Reddit thread the other day and this person was uh, talking about Firecracker and said that they were reading the documentation in AWS and that they started getting confused because the Firecracker documentation started veering off into um, Docker land and talking about a whole bunch of Docker stuff. And they were like, why is Firecracker documentation talking about ContainerD and RunC? I don't understand. And then at the beginning of this whole conversation, this complete, you know, side journey we're going on here. We also were talking about container D and run C. Um, and I was trying to draw like very loose parallels between the firecracker ecosystem and the Docker ecosystem, but you actually pulled them together and talked about integration. And then that actually confused me and caused me to think that there's always integration because that's all firecracker can do is run Docker containers. And then I got corrected on that. But I guess my question is, why is the AWS documentation talking about Docker? Why did you start off talking about the integration possibilities with Docker? Is it just because it's a good fit? Or is there something more specifically custom-built for Docker into Firecracker? All right, yeah. So let me, um, let me try to frame this a bit. Okay. So Firecracker, in and of itself, it's just another VM. Okay? So how are you going to use that? So, so we we're, we're all running containers today, right? Like, mm-hmm. how are you going to use that? And so, mm-hmm. think about it. Like, if you had to, if you said, "Oh, Firecracker sounds great, micro VM, it's it's super performant, and it's a, just a it's a it's got all the security benefits of a normal um, VM," and I want to start using it. So, like, what would that mean? Like, 
something like ECS or Kubernetes or Swarm or whatever kind of, or just plain old Docker, like, how do you do that? Like, you would have to manually yourself set up, like, you'd have to run some command to spawn a VM, right? Uh-huh. And then if you wanted, you, you could now you could now install Docker or something inside that VM and now run all your containers inside that VM, but you didn't really get right. much, right? Because now you're running all your containers inside a single micro VM. Mm-hmm. So now if you want to have this tooling around it to say, well, I really want to create a micro VM for every one of my containers. Well, what's going to do that? I mean, you'd have to manually do all that stuff, right? So it would be a lot of work, a lot of heavy lifting that is really going to like everyone's going to have to do this, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense. So that's why. Or if you didn't want to run in containers, let's just think of it from the other perspective. Let's say you're like, well, I've got my, my micro VM right now, and, and it's got low overhead, and it's got good isolation from the other micro VM. So I'm not going to take on the overhead of Docker. I'm just going to run my my Nginx process directly on in Firecracker. So you could, you could do it, but like that'd be like such a big step back, right? Because that's that's the reason why we went to containers to begin with. Is it gives us that that. Re- that repeatable agile process of being able to abstract at the application level and it gives us all the the packaging the formatting the i mean just think about all the tooling that goes around with that uh-huh. we'd be giving that up and we'd be going back to like here's Starting a jar your file micro VM. right here's yeah, a jar yeah. file and here i got to go install tomcat and i got to go install this patch and it's just like we'd be going so you it would just be going backwards so much, right? Unless you could, unless you could create an image of your micro VM, right? Like you know, like just do that, and then throw those things around the internet, right? But then you'd have to do that for every single one of your applications, right? Or every which you, you already do for Docker, right? So if you could do that with Firecracker instead of having to do it with Docker, right? Because I, I mean, I'm just saying, like I'm, I'm just saying, like Firecracker is using Docker. Because that by using Docker, it's able to get away with not having to do a whole bunch of stuff that Docker already takes care of. So actually, let me just point this. So Firecracker actually has nothing to do with Docker, right? In and of itself. Oh, sure. Yes. The yes, Firecracker correct. team is building integrations. Yes. To integrate in with Docker, so that other right, people, right. people other than AWS, can use Firecracker. Right. Right. So like, so AWS when they're running Lambda. Like again, they're not using Docker with this, right? They don't need Firecracker Container D, um, which mm-hmm. is one of their integration. And that's what that the the Reddit user was talking about. They're they're looking on the Firecracker site and they they saw that oh, there's this thing called Firecracker Dash Container D. Like, why? What are they talking about in Docker and and OCI and whatnot, right? Like, what are they talking about? And so that is the additional piece that they're building, right, to build that bridge between Firecracker. And and containers because Firecracker in and of mm-hmm. itself is not there's there's nothing container specific about Firecracker. It's just a virtual machine. Right. Right. Okay. It's just a hypervisor. Fine. Fine. I just have to say this thing also though. But as you can imagine, like as you get as you work on efficiency and performance and scale and, and like scale, there is still between Firecracker and your running application, there's this container and it has a lot of benefits around packaging and and portability and things like that. That you could pull into Firecracker someday and to make Firecracker even more efficient. Like you could basically make it so that Firecracker was the place where that imaging and um, portability and, you know, same shapeness all took place so that uh, you could create Firecracker images and you'd have a Firecracker image repository and you could put Firecracker into your code pipeline and you would remove like just that one little piece of abstraction that, that we don't 
technically need. It's just there because it, like, it's a lot less work for the firecracker team to do when they can, when they can depend on Docker to do that for you instead of having to build it themselves. But it, it isn't for free, right? That's the point I'm trying to make that, that container, like spinning it up and running it is like another couple microseconds that they could, they could potentially get rid of. That's the, the fine. Now I'm done. <laughs> I've made my point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's important though. Like that point is important because that's what AWS and the whole cloud infrastructure ecosystem is always doing. Like where can we look at some piece of software that isn't actually accomplishing anything for us anymore and, and, and get rid of it? And then also where is there software that we can turn into silicon? Like those two things is what they're doing as they add more and more efficiencies. And in this case, you know, there's, it looks like there's maybe a little tiny bit of software that, that is owned by Docker that could go away someday. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's always going to be improvements to do to, to Firecracker on the roadmap, especially with mm-hmm. you know the very specialized use cases. Um, the one thing that I will like firmly believe in, right, is like at the end of the day, us, the users, the developers of applications, we want to just we don't need we don't need to know about Firecracker. We want to mm-hmm, work mm-hmm. with containers, right? So we want to use we want to have. Um, yeah, our, yeah, yeah. Our container. We want our our Docker files, right? So that we can. This is how we build containers. Like if we have to now go learn how to make do a Firecracker build file format, right? Which is a whole maybe a whole different way of building images, um, and I need a whole new tool set, um, tool chain for building those images um, and running those locally, like on my local machine and whatnot. It's it just becomes this, like this whole brand new thing where it's like I now have to make the trade off. Like, is it worth <laughs> the investment? Versus, if I can just dude, AWS just announced that, and I've already started putting it in production. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in twelve months. <laughs> what do you? Yeah, what do you mean we don't want new stuff and we don't want to change every week? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, and and that's I mean that's a whole another a whole another episode we can talk about, right? Is just <laughs> so, there's so much change going on, um, and you know how do you know when to when to actually pull new stuff in and um, kill your your current best practices to revamp them and 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 incorporate the new versus like you know if you consumed everything that was new as it comes out like you'll just be spinning your wheels constantly and you're never going to get anything done so there's there is some sort of pragmatic middle ground and um, again I think the good thing here is that like for us the container ecosystem is so rich we're so it's just we're so efficient with it, and and we're so um, productive with it that that doesn't need to change. Like let these other things adapt to that, and yeah, we yeah, can I we agree. can reap the performance there. Right, that's the undifferentiated mm-hmm. heavy lifting. That I like thinking of it as a protocol that we like and that we want to mm-hmm. stick with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So twenty minutes of off outline conversation, but it was really, really helpful for me. I think I, I feel so much better about how this all works and fits together and what it's for already with Firecracker than I did last week. Uh, but I'm sure there's some details on Firecracker that are in the outline that we want to get to and make sure get into your head, Mr. Listener and Mrs. Listener and <laughs> other folks. Sure. Okay, so so we can start the episode now is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah let's get started. Perfect. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> We cover a lot of information here on MobyCast, and if you've ever wanted to go back and remind yourself of something we talked about in a previous episode, it can be hard to search through our website and transcripts to find exactly what you're looking for. 
Well, now it's a lot easier. All you have to do is go to mobicast.fm slash show dash notes and sign up. We'll send you our weekly super detailed outline that we use to actually record the show. A lot of times, this outline contains more information than we get to during our hour on the air. So sign up and get weekly MobyCast cheat sheets to all of our episodes delivered right to your inbox. Okay, so let's pick up where we were last time. So last time we were we were going through Firecracker, we had kind of discussed like, okay, what is it? And then also what are the benefits of it? So we talked about, you know, hey, you got really strong security, performance, and efficiency benefits. If you want to go back and listen to that episode to get the details on it, but just there are some very strong benefits there with security, performance, and efficiency. So given that, let's talk a little bit about like, okay, what's the status of that project and, you know, where's it going? So they did announce it. They released Firecracker at reInvent 2018, right? So it's been out now for a little over a year. Um, They... They started using it in prod in 2018, so it's it's relatively new. And there's so there's they have a roadmap. There's lots of of, of new things to add to it. Um, some of the big things that they're working on right now that are enhancements in progress are support for other platforms. So specifically ARM and AMD. So currently it's supported on on Intel um, x86, and so they're they're looking at expanding that out to to be on other processor architectures. Another thing that they're actively working on is that integration in with containers and specifically with with um, container d and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in, in detail in a little bit and then another big thing they're working on is um snapshot and restore functionality so like all <laughs> all virtual machine you know technologies have the ability to snapshot right and to restore yep so yep so they i wonder what you would do with those images if you had them excuse me <laughs> <laughs> that, those are images, right? That's that's kind of what I was just well, talking it, about. Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. So it it it's a virtual machine image for sure. So you could absolutely come up with like this. Like I mean, people do this, right? Like there, like yeah. you have build systems in place now for people that are, are not on containers that are actually just using virtual machines, and they go and their build process creates virtual machine images, and those get yep. passed around and get instantiated. So absolutely, the same thing will be possible with Firecracker. So for folks that want to put in that tooling and do the work to do that, that that fits their model. Once Snapshot and Restore is there um, in Firecracker, then they would be able to do that. Right. Yeah. Lots of benefits, too, with with um, Snapshot and Restore. So what we, we talked about last time, for a VM, a micro VM to spin up with the guest OS, looking at 125 milliseconds, pretty fast, right? But um, if you do it from a Snapshot... They're talking five milliseconds. Wow! Right, so like just almost instantaneous that you would have an up and running VM if you are instantiating it from a snapshot. Wow! Um, so, so I mean, again, if you have just a, you know a handful of core applications that you really want to tune for, and you have just thousands upon thousands of instances that you want to have, then something like this is probably going to be really, really attractive to you. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so their so their snapshots are minimal, um, and it's only you know it's 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 basically just taking snapshot of the the virtual machine state. So things like KVM internals and registry values and whatnot. It's snapshotting devices, so the um, the user configuration and the virtio internals, 
And then also it's doing a snapshot of the memory. That's kind of one of the really interesting things here is that when it takes a snapshot of the memory, that produces base. It's basically a memory map file. And so like the great thing about it, so like think about when we spin up virtual machines, right? Or containers, we say, this is how much memory we want. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like a fixed reservation. So we say, oh, this is going to get two gigs or something like that. But right. maybe your application only uses 100 megs. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's still going to use up the full two gigs. It's going to reserve that. Well, with these snapshots and because it's memory map files, they end up it's if you were only using 100 megs when you snapped it, that's all it's going to use when it starts back up mm-hmm. and restores. Yeah. So it's a, it's it's a it's a very um, great ideal way of compacting your memory usage and resource usage. So, um, so pretty interesting. So that's something that's actively they're working on. Um, it's not yet available, but it will be. I would I would imagine. Yeah, that's really this, interesting. This year. Mm-hmm. My mind just going off and the that whole like thought of like saving an application in, in in its exact state and sending it somewhere and then resuming from that state. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff yeah. you could do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I mean, and that's kind of like where we're talking about this stuff now is that like it's this is all on the the horizon. It's it's new. There's a lot of work going on here. Today there's probably not a lot of stuff that you can you really want to do with it. But you know, going forward a year, two years down the road, like who knows? I mean, we might see some some dramatically different workflows um, with the support of other tooling and other um, projects and whatnot to you know take advantage of some of these things. And we may see a, a really a different way of applications being deployed or in, in, and hosted and how they run out in the cloud versus today but still keeping our, our rich ecosystem. Right. So, so that's, that's kind of where the Firecracker project is going. So why don't we talk about, like, okay, now that we know exactly what it is and all these great things about it, like, let's talk about, well, how do you use it? Mm-hmm. So there's two things I want to talk about here. One is, like, well, so this was built by AWS, so let's talk about how AWS is using it, because that's one way that you do use it, right, is v- yeah. via proxy from using the AWS services that are using it. And then we'll talk into, well, what if you wanted to use it directly yourself? Right. So as far as AWS goes, we, we've already talked about it quite a bit, that Lambda um, was, the, was definitely the first, the first use case for this and the first customer. And so it's been, Lambda's been using this since um, 2018. And we talked about like they are now doing trillions of, of function calls a month running, running Firecracker with Lambda. So very much proven, right? Like this is, this is a real thing. In the past, we've kind of speculated that Fargate is using um, Firecracker. Right. I've actually seen a bunch of references to, to other, um, other saying that, yes, Firecracker, I mean, um, Firecracker is being used by Fargate. Well, it turns out, like, no, it's not. They're still working on that. It's very much actively being developed. I think they're kind of really close to being to the point where they're we're ready to go to prod with Fargate mm-hmm. using Firecracker. And when they do, I, I think we'll know, even if they don't tell us, we'll know it because there's going to be a price drop for sure. Um, with Price with drop, uh, and then also just like everyone might be like, whoa, look at this. Look at how fast my tasks are starting and stopping. Yes, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Wouldn't that be cool? Like, like if you've got to spin up like six containers, six tasks, and, you know, that's not that many, but you're just like, whoa, and now they're up. Like, you, you press go and it's like, poof, they're up. 
Like that's not how it works today. So it'd be kind of neat if that that is how it started working. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think so. That's and that's kind of an interesting, um, you know, point is that you know right now the way it works right is like if you're spinning up containers, if you're using the EC2 launch type, right? Well, the VMs already exist, so it's there's not that overhead, right? So that 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 exists. Um, you're just creating a container inside of a VM that that already exists mm-hmm. with Fargate. Um, they're typically, they're always over-provisioned, right, for just exactly this case. So the, the odds of you, when you're spinning up a Fargate container, of it of them needing to spin up a brand new VM for you is very, very low, right? So they're, because they don't want, because that, that's a bad experience, right? Right. Like, think about how long it takes to instantiate a, an EC2, like, to bring it up, right? I mean, you're talking... Right, long enough for getting a snack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so they, so <laughs> Not they're, really, so but they're, you know. Yeah, yeah. so they're, well, I mean, they're, it used to be, like, six or eight minutes, right? Now it's, yeah. it feels like it's more like 90 seconds or two minutes, but um, mm-hmm. still, it's like, if it took that long for your for your process to start, you, your, your container to start, you wouldn't be too happy. So they're, they're really over-provisioned there. Um, so we get to reap the performance benefits of their over-provisioning, but it's costing them a lot more um, in the way of resources and, and um, to do that. And Firecracker, they're going to reap just tremendous benefits from not having to do that as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and honestly, like like I don't know if it's, purposely put in jitter like because they talk about how fast things are but it hasn't your experience with ecs uh with both fargate and ec2 being that like if you're swapping out a set of like four you know four tasks or four you know you've got four four running containers and you're gonna kill them all and put new ones in that that's not very instantaneous that it takes some time like a little you can watch it happen and you're like okay okay now it's done Mm -hmm. and it feels like with the kind of efficiency uh, gains that we're talking about that that could be nearly instantaneous. So it's like I click the button and okay, yeah, it's done. Yeah, and you know, so Firecracker is not going to help with any of that that you see right you now. Don't right? Think so? No, it, it, absolutely, because because all that time because of that, the over provisioning. No, the, the all that time and delay is actually coming from the orchestration, right? Uh, and it's it's okay. so it's like. One of the things that you have is just draining from ELBs, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, so there's it. like three, yeah. like by default, it's a five minute drain period mm-hmm. from ELBs for your task. So it, it basically stops routing traffic to that task, that that instance for um, as soon as you want to take it out. But it waits five minutes before killing it. So uh-huh. just by default, it's going to take you five minutes to to deploy a new version of your container on ECS if you don't change that, right? So, mm-hmm. and that's to, to deal with the account. Like, what if you have long-running um, transactions? So there's this, so, the, so there's a lot of complexity that's just built in between um, the orchestration integration with other services. And so, like I said, the, the overhead of actually spinning up a VM, um, like that performance benefit here is, it's not, we're not going to see much difference from a uh, that's standpoint. really unfortunate because it's where I want a lot of performance increases. It's like, you know, talking to developers, um, there was a time when things were simpler where you could have like, you know, you could just refresh, you make a change on your code, refresh your browser, and it's, it's and you see your change. And the, the like loop is very, very short. And there are ways you can still make that happen. Uh, but you know, there's some trade-offs around that happening because, like, you're you're not really working in a real system when you do that. You're not working in a distributed system, so you want to be able to test your code in in the actual cloud with in its real environment. 
and it just seems, uh, you know, just my little rant is like, it would be so cool if I could um, kind of click a button in my IDE or, or, you know, hit enter at the end of a CLI command that basically said, replace this, replace what's running in, in my EC, uh, ECS services with this new thing. And like, by the time I refresh my browser, it's already done and I'm already seeing the new thing and it's running, it's real and it's all every, everything is still behind load balancers. Everything is still connected to real databases. Everything is still running on real, you know, Fargate machines with micro VMs, but, but it's all fairly instant. I think that if a cloud provider can get closer to that experience, everyone's going to be stoked. Like making the whole provisioning of new stuff faster so that we can work with real stuff in real environments and change it and see instant results instead of minutes long results would be so cool. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's what I want. Do that AWS, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw some of the, many of the presentations at reInvent had the, the triangle slide, the pyramid slide mm-hmm. showing their priorities and top priority is always security. Then comes yep. availability and then performance, right? Uh-huh. So um, that might be a little bit of a of a hint of like why they've made some of the the trade offs and why things work like this and why they you know we talk about things like blue green deployments and canary deployments, right? Right. And, um, and I guess you know you know while you wait for your cloud formation to run is a nice time to have a lightsaber battle. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> But the, the old um, meme or or joke about yeah. like um oh I gotta compile so we go get yeah. coffee right so there's always gotta be right. something where it's like oh I gotta go get coffee mm-hmm. yep. confirmation today yeah <laughs> all right um, so moving on so that's lambda so the other so so they are actively working on Fargate um, to use Firecracker and this is like one of those just really key important things for them to do. And and the reason why is because with Fargate, like again, we talked about that pyramid and we said security for, for AWS is always top priority. What they're doing now with Firecracker is they, for security reasons, they will only run a single task in a per VM in a VM. Like a one they will spin up a new VM for every task. Right. So this is like that is really expensive, and that is a lot of of potentially wasted resources. Could you? I mean, think about it, like if if we if we did that, that means that we would be every we would have an EC two instance for every single one of our tasks that we wanted to run. Mm-hmm. Which gives up like one of the great benefits of going to containers is like we can actually have that compaction, right? Where we can say instead of having we don't need to have that, we can have. Ten of our containers run on a on a on a single EC2, um, but mm-hmm. we're in an environment where like we're allowed to do that. We can be multi-tenant because it's all of our it's all of our code. Um, but with something like Fargate, like there's not that guarantee. You're running it is basically multi-tenant um, where all you know all AWS customers are using it. So they went with you know. They knew from the very get-go, like, this is what we have to do. We have to have uh, a, a dedicated VM for every task. So there's a there's a big overhead there. And so if they have, you know, tens of millions of Fargate task launches, that means that they have tens of millions of EC2 instant, instance launches, 
right? Right. So with Firecracker, once they have that in place, now they can run each one of those tasks inside a Firecracker VM. Right. And those Firecracker VMs can now run on bare metal instances. Mm-hmm. And so now you can run multiple tasks on the same instance securely. And so now they can have the same tens of millions of Fargate task launches. Now there's going to be tens of millions of Firecracker VM launches. But those are going to be much, much faster. Um, and now they can have a much smaller set of, of um, bare, metal, bare metal instance launches to, to support that. So they're going right. to so get much, much better resource utilization there and, and just scalability that they get. So right. that's definitely one of the things that they're, they're looking to do with this. We've talked a lot about security like because it is, it's a virtual machine, right? There is that strong hardware isolation boundary through the hardware virtualization. Right. And so that allows them to, to do this, to, to run on bare metal and have multiple multiple tasks running on the same bare metal machine. There's some, uh, some architecture details as well about how they get to implement this. And with Fargate, um, with Fargate there's, there's, you have a customer ENI for your task, um, right? And so when you, we talked about this back in the, in the Fargate miniseries about um, setting up the the task networking and AWS VPC mode, and mm-hmm. you're you're basically spinning up um, an ENI in your inside your VPC. That's the customer ENI, right? So right. so there's that, and then there's also a there's also a Fargate ENI, right? So there's a Fargate agent. So just like we have ECS agents for the EC2 launch type, yeah. There's a there's same kind of concept in Fargate, right? There's some agent there on that machine that's that's talking to the Fargate control plane, and in the current environment, there needs to be a Fargate ENI per each task, a Fargate agent for each task, uh-huh. and that ends up being like lots of overhead. Right to have yeah, so I can see that versus now with Firecracker, they're going to be able to have a Fargate agent per bare metal instance. Ah, interesting. Right. So, um, so it's 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 you know there's some pretty interesting architecture diagrams out there for both of these situations where it shows like how it actually is is stacked together and works. But I think you know, we can kind of keep it at the level of the sayings like Firecracker is really allowing for not just this this strong security and isolation but it's also very real in the way of of of, of really reducing the amount of resources they have so they don't need nearly as many enis dedicated for fargate anymore and they don't have to have all these agent codes that just, they don't take up a lot necessarily but it all adds up right when you're talking about tens of millions of launches so if it's 10 megabytes or whatever it is right like multiply that by tens of millions and that's something that's actually a big number. Right. And talk about like I mean just the business opportunity for them with this is so incredible because um say they are able to run all the tasks on half as many machines as they needed before. So they're saving half, right? Um and then they could pass on a quarter of that savings to their customers and all the customers would be like, sweet. And then <laughs> Customers are happy, and they're making more money than they were before. Yep. Like, just what a cash cow that'll be! Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this is like this is this is like said, this is a very strategic, very important project for them. Like, it, I mean, talk about like 
ROI, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm talking yeah, about. <laughs> I mean, this is massive, like just yeah. massive ROI. And I mean, and this is so much like for the, you know, just going forward into the future as well. Um, like this is going to pay off in spades. And, and the kind of interesting mm-hmm. thing too, I bet you the teams are not that big, right? So you talk about like, you know, how many two pizza teams are involved with this? You pro- I think we'd be surprised at just like how few it is. Versus how much sure, leverage yeah. it's giving AWS yeah, and how much, yeah. you know, what that return is. So, so pretty cool. Agreed. Yeah. And then obviously lots of operational efficiency gains are going to get in Fargate um, through Firecracker. We've kind of touched on them. So like you can now tune this to be the exact CPU memory needed with right sizing. They no longer have to, they can have a homogenous fleet of bare metal instances. Now they kind of have to have different instance sizes right because they're doing it at the ec2 level and so the different ec2 families right have different amounts of cpu and memory and so yeah that you can't so you can't run um a task that requires two two gigs of memory on a t2 right it needs to be something bigger right so they have to have this this mixed fleet of, of instance types right now in order to, to support. And so they have complicated code to figure out like, where does it get scheduled and run versus with um, firecracker, they can do that at the, at the micro VM level and they can have just these bare metal instances um, and they can compact them. Just big ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just yeah. go with big old servers. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Cool. So that's, so that's how AWS is, is, is using firecracker um, and, you know, obviously getting, getting great gains out of it. So the real question then is like, well, how do we use it? Like, what does this, you know, mean to us? Like, other than if we're using Fargate or, or Lambda, how can we take advantage of, of Firecracker? And so we can make a multi cloud function runner or a container runner. Yeah. And have that be our new company. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, you, um, you, you absolutely could. And you know who knows? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's projects out there that are doing. I know oh, there's, sure. there's a bunch yeah, of functions yeah. as a service, um, open source things and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. so who knows? But so you know, we we already kind of talked about this a little bit. Like Firecracker in and of itself is just a VM, right? It's it's a it's a it's a VMM, virtual machine monitor. So um, you can use it as a VM. So you can you know use their tooling to create VMs and tell VM what you want your, your guest OS to be. And you can tell it, um, you know, how much memory you use and CPU to use. Right. But that doesn't, it's like I said, there's still, if you wanted to integrate that in with your whole, um, your application set, then it becomes a lot of work now, right. To, to, to do that orchestration. So it's not, it's not, it's just a lot of work to be able to just, to consume Firecracker in and of itself, right? Sure. So there's um, there's projects out there that are that are working again to integrate into this this container ecosystem, right? Because that's what we want. We want our containers. Like, remember we had our chant last time. <laughs> what do we <laughs> What do we want? Performance <laughs> and efficiency. How do we want right. it? You know, secure and isolated. And so. <laughs> So that's what these that's what these projects are doing. So the Firecracker team they're working on um, Container D integration. So they they are working on Firecracker version of Container D. So it's it's a replacement for the the standard Container D um, daemon. 
Um, it's actually custom compiled to have the one of the control modules that's needed for Firecracker. Um, so there's a bit of work there for whoever does want to use this. To you have to you know go and and have this this custom compiled version of of Containerd just for Firecracker. But it is you know it's compliant with it, right? So it's it's um, and and you can now use either um, Run C or Firecracker as your low level runtime for Containerd, right? So if you're using the Firecracker dash Containerd, then having Firecracker as your low level runtime is now an option in lieu of Run C. Ah, interesting. So that is the kind of the thing that I was kind of alluding to earlier. Like, what if we had Firecracker images in a Firecracker mm-hmm. image repository and yeah, so that's kind of what that's for. Yeah, kind of. Although it's like you're still kind dealing, of moving in that direction. Well, you're still dealing with container images. It's just that the the low level runtime that normally is dealing with just containers, it's now it's been updated to be smart enough to say, well, before I create my container, I first need to create a VM in which to place uh, okay. it. Okay. Right? Okay. So never mind. So it's doing some value added work there, but everything uh, okay. above it is just saying create a container. Right, so that's how it plugs into this tooling, so that mm-hmm. like again, you as a user of it, you don't have to really know anything about Firecracker. Um, mm-hmm. You're still just think you're just containers, and all your tooling above that level is all it sees is containers. So you would use that if you were like running on prem and you were making your own little platform as a service, and you realized that you had been doing it with Kubernetes before and. Um, using regu- regular old Docker containers, and you're like, actually, you know, this is kind of dangerous because our platform as a service has different applications running on it that really we should be keeping more isolated from each other. Um, let's pull in Firecracker to be our runtime for the containers. You can use Firecracker Container D, and now all of a sudden, all your little containers are running inside Firecracker VMs, and there are more and are more isolated from one another. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, okay. so that's you know. Again, that's definitely one of the big use cases that we're we're using micro VMs for is for that strong isolation. So yeah, mm-hmm. so if folks are and I like to go to the platform as a service example kind of immediately because it's sort of like everyone gets it. Oh oh, I can imagine you know Capital One has their own platform as a service for their own internal apps. Mm-hmm. Like it just makes sense yeah. that they might have that. Yeah. yeah 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 absolutely. So so that so that's. Um, that's container D for Firecracker, um, and that kind of gives us the the integration in with their, our normal Docker tooling, if you will. There are some other projects out there kind of doing the same thing. So there's there's um, something called Ignite from Weave, and basically this is the same same kind of thing um, where it's now allowing you to run um, Docker and and OCI images within the Firecracker VM, so it's it's okay. it's just a different approach. Basically, it's it's hooking into that that same place, and then they've also gone a step further, and um, they have something they built called Firecube. And what mm-hmm. Firecube is is now it's hooking into Kubernetes um, and its container runtime interface, um, CR, CRI. Um, to now work with Firecracker, so so it's 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 so actually as, fire, as Kubernetes is deploying pods and running them, it's it's actually making Firecracker yes, yeah. VMs with containers in them. Yeah, 
And so it, cool. it, 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 tru- it truly is probably at this point, like the easiest way, if you wanted to consume firecracker yourself for your like own self-hosted um, container runtimes, then definitely the most mature option out is if you are running Kubernetes. Um, so using something like Firecube and Ignite, it's, it's there, it's real, it's live. Um, and it's a plugs right in and, and uses it versus on the Docker side. Uh, just, I mean, I guess what swarm that, you know, there's no, there's no equivalent thing for swarm. And then I guess, you know, ECS, we've kind of know what's going on there. So that's Fargate. So I guess that does kind of cover most of it from a, from a orchestration landscape. Yep. Super cool. I don't see myself cracking up in firecracker to use the word cracker twice. <laughs> um, anytime soon. But it's really fascinating. Like I, I think the thing that I get out of this that I love so much is just that sense of directionality in everything that's happening in, in the cloud. Like when when you see and understand containers, and then you see and understand container orchestration, and then and and also before that VMs, and then now micro VMs. It's like oh yeah, this is all moving in a particular direction of like you know more isolation, more efficiency. And better tooling, like everything is just sort of refining those three things. Absolutely, I mean, this is this is all just evolution, right? It's not it's not revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Like this is not stuff really that's just it's not even hard. I mean, you can totally connect the dots. It makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Like that, this is where we have gone. So, and the interesting thing, I mean, again, it's all being driven by cloud. Right. It's, it's just all being driven by that. So it's, it's kind of, it's really, to me, that's kind of interesting. It's like, it used to be PCs was, was driving the innovation. And, you know, now, I mean, PC, like, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's like, I don't think people buy desktop computers hardly at all anymore. Um, It's really, you know, smartphones have, have replaced that and, and other types of connected devices on the personal side. And then on the, on the server side, it's, it's all cloud. Yeah. Well, awesome. I know we have more micro VMs to talk about, so maybe we'll talk about the rest of it next week. Yeah, I think we'll, we, we, we covered a lot today, and you know, we spent a lot of time in Firecracker, but it, it is kind of like one of the, the, the front runners here and, and really kind of important to just go through and talk about that to really understand what micro VMs are. Um, so yeah, I think next time we'll pick up, we'll talk a bit about Kata containers. And um, you know, spoiler alert, Kata containers, they were... Um, and looking at this, it was it was a little bit confusing to me because um, they kind of claim that they're a lightweight virtual machine, but it turns out I think they're more. You can think of them more as like this is another type of like run C replacement because um, Kata containers actually requires some other VMM, um, some other hmm. hi- hypervisor, right? So so we'll, but but this is you know one of the other popular projects out there. It's um, so we'll we'll talk about that, and then I think we'll also then just. That'll be the time where we can really dive into unit kernels as well, because um, uni- okay. unit kernels really align well with some of the same kind of goals that micro VMs have and use cases, but they do it in a completely different way. Cool. Yeah. Can't wait. All right. Thanks, John. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Talk to you next All week. Right, see ya. Bye.
Thanks for being aboard with us on this week's episode of MobyCast. Also, thanks to our producer, Roy England. And I'm our announcer, Stevie Rose. Come talk to us on MobyCast.fm or on Reddit at r slash MobyCast. Thank you.